This time of year, a lot of people do gift exchanges. Have you guys ever done a gift exchange before? We do this in, in my family um, with all my kids' cousins because there's so many kids, it's kind of hard to get a gift for everybody. So we'll do this gift exchange where one kid will give a gift to another and then the other kid will give a gift to that kid. We exchange gifts. Everybody gets one. And it's pretty cool because they're always wonderful gifts. But can you imagine if you went to a gift exchange and somebody gave you the most wonderful gift and you gave them a bag of dirty trash filled with stinky diapers and food from the meal the night before? That wouldn't be a very good exchange, would it? It wouldn't seem fair. Well, in verse 4, we just sung about an exchange like that. We sang, He undertakes a great exchange puts on our human frame, and in return gives us his realm, his glory, and his name. His glory and his name. Today we're focusing on this wonderful exchange that Jesus has made with us. Wonderful for us. Not so wonderful for him. He took all our filth, all our sinfulness that comes along with who we are as humans, He came into this world as a real human and endured all the suffering and pain and loss that this world has to offer. And in exchange, he gives us the glory that is his and his own name that we be called children of God too. You see, today we're going to see that because Jesus became a human, he became our brother. And as brothers and sisters of God in the flesh, we are definitely sons and daughters of the Father. It's a wonderful exchange for us. And we're thankful that Jesus was, endure, was willing to endure all that pain so that we could have the greatest gift ever, himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to make a, a most wonderful exchange. We are so thankful for the benefit that you have given to us in this exchange. We are thankful for Jesus being willing to endure all that he suffered for us, our death, our hell so that we could be with you forever, so that we could be in your glory and bear your name. We thank you for this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on for a little while this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, 
and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of our God. You may be seated. Let's pray. He undertakes a great exchange, puts on our human frame, and in return gives us his realm, his glory and his name, his glory and his name. Amen. The Bible is the grand narrative of the creator and the created, of God and his people. It reaches a very early climax, as we've been discussing these last few days, where these two people, the crown of God's creation, they doubt his love for them in the command that he gave. They begin to wonder if this command not to eat the fruit from that one specific tree is actually in their best interest, if God's love is actually found in that command. And in so doing, they rebelled against the Lord. And into the world came sin. This this thing that impacts every aspect of our lives. But right away, God promised. He spoke. He spoke words and he made promises. And through those words and promises, he assured us that a Savior would come. Christmas is, of course, the celebration of the arrival of that Savior, but of course, it's by no means the beginning of the the, the narrative, right? It comes more towards the end of the narrative. God spoke many words and made many promises before his son was born. So far, we've talked about the impact of this greatest gift. We've talked about the gift itself. The glory of God hidden in flesh, lying in a manger. The glory of God hidden even in the cross. As that little baby had grown and then hung bloody and mangled on that cross. We talked about how that could be, that the glory of God could be hidden in flesh, lying in a manger, or bloodied, hidden on the cross. It's only because the words and promises of God declared that it would be so. If the words and promises of God had not declared it would be this way, then no one, no one ever would have believed it to be true. God did not just show up into the world and expect people to believe that this human was God unannounced. He spoke words. He spoke promises so that people would look for a human. And God did not just expect that people would look at a gory, bloody cross and see the glory of God hidden there. It was the words and promises of God that said it would happen this way. That's how the glory of God hidden there has been revealed. And now today, we focus on what this gift is for. We've looked at the impact, we've looked at what it is, but now we look at what it's for. This gift is for us to be our substitute and to be our sacrifice. This letter to the Hebrews begins in chapter 1 and the early parts of chapter 2 with this argument of sorts where the writer is fighting against this idea that Jesus is somehow lower than the angels. And he's already made a convincing case that Jesus is far superior 
to the angels, to the messengers of God. That's what the word angel means, remember? But now there's this expected objection. If the angels, God's messengers, appeared and people were terrified because there was this glory of God, then why not in Jesus? If Jesus is really superior to these angels, why would we not expect to see a superior glory? And it's a similar argument to the one that we focused on yesterday. While the words and promises of God said he would be this way, that his glory would be hidden. But here we have a a further argument. An argument that, that shows why Jesus had his glory hidden and appears lesser than the angels. This is a different translation from the one I read. Listen to this particular translation again. Certainly it was fitting for God, the one for whom and through whom everything exists, in leading many sons to glory, to bring the author of their salvation to his goal through sufferings. For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified all have one father. For that reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. Within the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's Psalm 22, verse 2. And again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am and the children God has given me. That's Isaiah chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. The point here is that Jesus' appeared humility says nothing about his status. Rather, it speaks to the status of those he came to save, the humans. As that hymn verse so beautifully put it, he undertakes a great exchange, puts on our human frame, and in return gives us his realm, his glory, and his name. His glory and his name. By becoming one of us, by becoming our brother, Jesus assures that we can be called his brothers and sisters. That might sound like a simple thing, but it is a beautiful truth. By becoming our brother, we become brothers and sisters of the Son of God. We are sons and daughters of God. This is a great exchange, but it came at a cost. A great cost. By entering this world, by becoming one of us as he lives He endures. He endures all this world has to offer. I've heard from a lot of you that when Pastor Radat was here a number of weeks ago, his sermon was impactful. I had a chance to listen to it, and, and and I understand why. He had that part where he talked about your childhood, my childhood, longing for the good old days, And he had a comment that the reason your childhood seems like the good old days is because you weren't wise enough yet to understand just how awful this world can be. You hadn't lived enough. It's true. Some children suffer great tragedy. Teenagers and 20-somethings are capable of experiencing great loss. But even in those cases... They have not yet learned what you learn as you get older. And the older you get, the more you learn. So quick old, so late wise. 
Jesus, at the age of 12, already understood what he was here to do. He had to be in his father's house, capital F. He had to carry out his father's will, capital F, which was to endure all the suffering and sin and pain that this world has to offer that we become all too familiar with the older we get. Jesus endured it all. He was tempted in every way. He became our substitute. He substituted himself for us. He truly experienced what this world is like and then offered himself the blameless life of God's own son as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Therefore, since the children share flesh and blood, he also shared the same flesh and blood. So that through death, he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. For surely he was not concerned with helping angels, but with Abraham's offspring. And you know who Abraham's offspring is? It's not those who are descended by blood. It's those who are descended by faith. Those who hear the words and promises of God. Those who hear the words and promises of God that declare the glory of God will be hidden in flesh and born a little child, but called mighty God. The words and promises of God that declare the glory of God will be hidden at a cross where God who took on flesh would be wounded that we might be healed. God cannot be wounded, but God in the flesh was wounded that you and I would be healed. It was the words and promises of God that declared these things. And Abraham's offspring are those who, like Abraham, believe the words and promises of God. For this reason, he had to become like his brothers in every way in order that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, so that he could pay for the sins of the people. Indeed, because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Back to the 12-year-old Jesus. 12-year-olds don't know what they want to do with their lives, at least none that I've met. But this 12-year-old was not concerned about what he wanted, only concerned about what his father wanted. Like Flint, resolutely focused on the goal. What a wonderful thing that he would live, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would exchange his glory for our shame, that we might receive his glory and his name. He knew that the temple that he was in, the sacrifices that were offered there, the high priests who did that sacrificing, they were about to be replaced as he himself would become temple and sacrifice and high priest all rolled into one. This substitute, this sacrifice for you, that you could be called sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus himself. His resurrection matters for so many reasons. Of course, it matters because sin 
and life cannot go together. And so the fact that he lives means all the sins that were placed on him that caused his death are gone. Of course, he lives to assure us that his very real power over death will be used for us too. That our death is not the end. That we will live again. But there's this one other reason his resurrection matters. And I'd like you to leave here today focused on it. He lives to help you now. Indeed, because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. As your substitute, he has experienced it all. And as your risen substitute, he lives to help you day after day. As you are tempted, as you suffer, as you experience loss, as you wrestle with illness and death and pain, as Satan whispers in your ear and tries to get you to ignore the words and promises of God, there he stands, having experienced it all, having endured it all. He gets it. Your Savior gets it. He knows what it's like, and he's there to help. To help you every moment of every day until you see his glory uninhibited, no longer hidden with your own eyes. Your brother is there to help you. Cling to his help until you see him with your own eyes. Merry Christmas once again. Amen.